Good morning, everyone. Actually, I don't think I have to preach. That song just gave you my whole sermon. That was incredible. Thank you for choosing that song this morning. Um, so I have the, uh, the privilege every time that I come back to have a beautiful set behind me uh, when I preach. The last time I was here, this stage looked like Africa, and I felt so much at home. Today, I'm going to be speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. So, wonderful decorations. I know every preacher doesn't get this privilege every time that they come. I do want us to be praying for the, for the ministry staff. Uh, one of the things that we ask for is humility, and humility means not having a big head. So, we do need to pray <laughs> for all of these guys up here. Um, you see a picture on the screen of, of our school, Virunga Valley Academy. So I'm Matt Miller, my family, Andrea, and today we've got Anna and Katia with us. Also one of our teachers, Maria Taylor, is with us today. We serve uh, at a beautiful place called Virunga Valley Academy. It's in Musanze, Rwanda. If you want to find out where we live, if you look on the map of Africa, find the place where Uganda Congo and Rwanda come together, and that's where our city is. And uh, Musanze is the place that God has called us to, given us that city to serve and to love. And through a long story that I don't have time to share this morning, the shape that that has taken for us has been starting a, a school. A school that is actually more than a school, is a place of, of transformation, um, a place where brokenness is addressed and hopefully a place where transformational leaders are being developed for the future. I want to begin by sharing the vision of Virunga Valley Academy. Our vision is developing obedient disciples of Jesus who transform Rwanda and the world through academic excellence, growth in the character of Christ, and service to others. And there are several parts about that vision that I want to highlight. And with the time that I have this morning, I want to share um, some core ideas that shape the way we have chosen to engage in our work in Rwanda. And then I hope that will be inspiring to you as well, because I think the same core ideas are what the entire world needs right now. And you guys have a special part to play in what God wants to do in your families, in your homes, in the city of Birmingham. So my hope is that what God is doing in Rwanda will be an encouragement for you this morning. So in that vision of developing obedient disciples of Jesus, we want to see our students become transformational leaders who are involved in the restoration and redemption of Rwanda and the world. Um, that idea of restoration and redemption is at the heart of what I believe Jesus is calling all of us to be a part of. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin, and it's going to seem like I'm taking a totally different turn, but I'm going to begin talking about uh, something that we encounter all the time, and those are gates. Have you, have you recently been to a place where there was a gate? So I want you to picture a gate. Maybe there's a gate that's special to you. I thought about this in this, this audience. What would be some, some gates that you would be excited about? So I went onto the internet and picked up a couple of pictures. Anybody, anybody feel something when you see a picture of, of this gate? 
Maybe this one doesn't do it for you, so this one maybe is a little bit better fit. <laughs> Disney World, did I miss one? There were supposed to be two. Yeah, there we go. Oh, <laughs> let's go back. Yeah, we've got this gate. And for years, I've had to be neutral, but we now have a son studying at Auburn, so I can say it, War Eagle. <laughs> those of you who don't care about sports, this gate probably makes you feel something. Seeing those pictures of these gates, what, what does that evoke within you? Gates are special places that mark um, the, the intersection of two different worlds, two different kinds of places. You know when you walk through that gate, you are immediately going to be in a, in a place where something special is happening. In my life, there's a gate that I really enjoy. Um, sorry, let me go. I think we're battling up there. Can you guys help? It's not, I'm just pressing it once. There we go. We got it. This is the gate to the Akagera National Park. So in the eastern part of Rwanda, there's a part of the country that's been set aside for the wildlife to just roam and thrive. And there, there are lions and elephants and rhinos. And uh, it's hard for me to explain the excitement that I feel as, as I pull up to this gate. The other picture is, is a picture of Anna Marie actually standing right at the edge. And I'm telling you, just about five feet in front of where she stands, there's a leopard that has the habit of just passing by right outside of that gate. So it's incredible the difference you have. Just a few yards back, you're just in a regular village, and then you pass through the gate, and you're in a totally different place. Gates are actually a really important part of the story of Scripture. And um, there is a very important gate. That I think it's the first gate that you encounter in the Bible. And that gate is in the book of Genesis, chapter 28. This is the story of Jacob. And Jacob had a vision of something that he called a gate. And I want to read that to you. 28.10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob has this incredible vision, and what he sees is described as a stairway. Sometimes we refer, we refer to it as a ladder. Stairways and ladders are, are interesting features in, in any structure because they connect two different kinds of spaces. And when Jacob saw this vision of a stairway, there was something special happening on that stairway. It said the angels of God were ascending and descending on this stairway. They were going up and down. And when he saw it, 
what did he immediately know that that place was? He said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So this is one of those special places that was an entryway or a connection between two very different places. But there was something very special about this particular gateway because uh, sometimes when we think about uh, you know, a stairway or a gate to heaven, we think that's a way for us to leave the earth and get up to heaven. But this scripture says that the angels were ascending and descending on this stairway, which means that it was intended to be a place that went both directions. It was not just a place for people on the earth to escape and get away, but a place for heaven to be able to come down to the earth. That image of that gate is actually rooted in something even earlier in Scripture. I believe that it is a picture of what the Garden of Eden was intended to be. So in Genesis 1.28, we are in the Garden and um, we encounter two commandments that God gave Adam and Eve when they were in the Garden. The first... In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the first command that God gave Adam and Eve was to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and and rule over this place that he had created. A little bit later in chapter 2, verse 15, He talks more about the purpose of Adam and Eve being in the garden. said, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Some translations say to work it and to guard it. So the garden of Eden was established by God as a very special place. And do you know why the garden of Eden was so special? It's not only because it was beautiful and it had everything that they needed. It had the tree of life. But it was special because we find out later in chapter 3, it was a place that God himself would come and walk with his creation. It says that Adam and Eve had the habit of walking with God in the cool of the evening. The Garden of Eden was one of these special places where heaven and earth were connected. It was a gateway It was a place where God somehow was able to be fully present with Adam and Eve. And you know, after the garden, things change. We we see a story later where Moses is only able to look at God's back as he passes by. And even just glimpsing God's back causes Moses' face to glow. Something has changed after the garden where people aren't able to just walk and be with God. It was a special place because it was a place where God and his creation were able to be intimately connected and in relationship with each other. So do you see what God's plan was for that place? He created the garden after the earth was created and he planted just a portion of the earth to be the Garden of Eden. And then he gave Adam and Eve these two responsibilities. They were supposed to take care of and guard that garden. And they were supposed to multiply and fill the earth. Unfortunately, they obeyed only one of those commands. The world is now full of people. So that command was fulfilled. But they did not obey the command to care for, to protect, 
and to work the garden. What happens when you work a garden? Do we have any gardeners here? Anyone who, who loves to grow things? A garden produces fruits and vegetables, but what is the purpose of a fruit? A fruit is actually a, a packet of seeds that results in more fruit being produced. So a well-kept and well-tended garden has as its purpose expansion. So as Adam and Eve were filling the earth, they were intended to work the garden, and I believe God's plan was for the Garden of Eden to grow with them. If Adam and Eve had obeyed God's command, we would be living in the Garden of Eden right now. And uh, that is an amazing thing, that God would invite his creation into the process of expanding and growing the garden. And if what was special about the Garden of Eden is that it was intended to be a place for Adam and Eve and, and the creation to walk intimately with God, I believe that's what God's purpose was for the earth, for the earth to be a place where he could walk with us, a place where heaven could be present everywhere. Wouldn't that be amazing if we lived now in the Garden of Eden? We know the rest of the story that Adam and Eve were not faithful to that command and they had to be kicked out of the garden. I believe that was an act of mercy. God did not want Adam and Eve, after sin had entered into them, to eat the tree of life and live forever in their state of sin. So the plan that God had for the creation to be transformed into this beautiful place where heaven and earth are connected, it was frustrated for a time. But did God give up on that plan? Well, I want to take you to the book of Revelation where we have an image of what will happen in the future. And it's incredible the themes that are highlighted in Revelation 21 and how they are connected to this original image of the Garden of Eden. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and don't read ahead because I want to stop for a minute. This, this is the moment where everything that God has been working towards and working for is fulfilled. I believe that these are the most important words that we will ever hear. So what God says at this point is so important. So what is it that he says? Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will, no longer, uh, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In that moment where everything is being fulfilled, God says, now my dwelling place is with you. I will be with you. That's what it has been about from the beginning. God has wanted to create a place where he can dwell with his people. That should, that overwhelms me to know that God wants nothing more than to be with me. So what about now? We, we live in between the first garden 
that was intended to be a place where heaven and earth were connected, a gateway between heaven and earth. And then we have this beautiful vision. It says in Revelation 21, the new city of Jerusalem descends onto the earth. So once again, we have a connection between heaven and earth, and they come together. As you read on in Revelation 21, the elements that were in the garden come back. The, the river of life runs through the garden, just like there was a river, or runs through the new Jerusalem, just like there was a river in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is in this heavenly city. So the garden is restored. But we live in between those two places. So what is it now? What is our experience of that now? And this is where this story begins to connect more to our daily life and to what we're doing in Rwanda, what we want to see happen in Birmingham. The book of John is, in some ways, it could be considered the the new Genesis, because the first three words of the book of Genesis and the first three words of the book of John are exactly the same, in the beginning. And John chapter 1 retells the story of creation, highlighting the place of Jesus. It begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and that everything that was created in the world was created through the Word, and that Word is Jesus. But there's a an interesting thing that happens at the end of John chapter 1. Jesus has an interaction with one of his soon-to-be disciples named Nathaniel. And uh, Jesus says, I saw you when you were under a fig tree. And in verse 49, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus referring to? What is that image? Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We, we saw that in Genesis 28. The vision that Jacob had of a stairway reaching to heaven and the angels were ascending and descending on that stairway. That was not a stairway. What was it? It was Jesus. It's amazing as you look into the Old Testament, Jesus is on almost every page of the Old Testament, and you don't even know that he's there until you, you look back with the, the lens of the New Testament. Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. He is the one that allows heaven to descend and come to the earth. Paul had an incredible vision of, of the eternal purpose of God, something that he referred to as a mystery. And in one of his statements about what that mystery was, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, Paul says, he made known to us this mystery, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things, in heaven and on earth under Christ. The whole purpose of Jesus, the whole reason that he came was to bring everything together, to bring unity to things on hev in heaven and things on earth. Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. So this is where I hope to make this practical to us. I know I just surveyed a whole lot of scriptures, but I needed to give 
a, a foundation of the big picture of what God has been trying to do and how he does it through Jesus. I want you to think about a couple of questions. The first question is this. Where is Jesus now? Where is he? The second question is, where are you now if you are in Jesus? And we're going to start bending our understanding of time and space to, under, to, to get this, which is why I love the theme that we're in. This is interstellar kind of stuff. Ephesians gives us some insight into where Jesus is now. And these aren't going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to read them quickly. In Ephesians 1.19, um, it talks about the incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when, when God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So where is Jesus now? He is seated in the heavenly realms right next to God. But where else is Jesus? Is he anywhere else? He is here. He is with us. He is in us. You're telling me Jesus is in two places? Well, of course. What, what do we call something that can be in two places at once? A stairway, or a gate, or a ladder. Jesus is, he is here on earth. He is also seated next to Jesus, and he connects the two realms. That's what his purpose was. But where are we? right now. Of course, you're all sitting here, hopefully not falling asleep in the middle of this sermon. But Ephesians go on, goes on to tell us something about where we are. This is in Ephesians 2, verse 6. And he, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You are here, but if you are in Christ, you are also seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are in two places. You are a part of the connection between heaven and earth. You are a gate between those two realms. You are a part of what Jacob called Bethel, the house of God. And that is incredible. There are truths about us. There are things that we are that, that are incredible and, and hard to believe. And what I hope to do this morning is open your eyes to some incredible ways that God can and wants to use you because of where you are in Jesus. You are here, but you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. We in Christ are connectors of these two places. So all of that was introduction, and I know I've only got a few minutes, don't worry. In, in Africa, we preach for sometimes two hours, but I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. Uh, I want us to go to the book of Romans and really get to the point of what I want to share with you today. And I know, I know Brett is preaching through Romans, and he'll probably get to this passage, so don't tell him that I did this today, and you can, you can see if he shares the same idea. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I was really encouraged by what Brett shared last week because um, I knew what I wanted to share this morning. And really what he talked about was a wonderful introduction to the main point that I want to share with you today. If you remember last week, Brett, Brett talked about the first Adam and the second Adam and how the first Adam failed, but the second Adam stands in the place of the first Adam and does things right. 
that theology is connected to what we're talking about here because there was a first creation. And we talked about that first creation in the Garden of Eden and, and the purpose for it. It was to be a place where God could dwell with his people, a place where there would be no sickness, no sadness, no sorrow, where everyone had everything that they needed. And God called us into the incredible, beautiful purpose of expanding that so that the entire world would be filled with the Garden of Eden. We know that our first Adam failed. He was not able to be obedient. So God, at that moment, and maybe even before that moment, because he foreknew all of this, had prepared a second Adam. And if there's a second Adam, that means that there is going to be a second garden. And I've already showed you that that garden shows up in Revelation. There's going to be a second creation where everything is made right. So there's this fascinating passage in Romans chapter 8 that talks about the relationship of creation. We live in between those two creations. The first creation, we are still a part of it. And it has been broken and needs redemption. The second creation has not yet been fulfilled, but it started. So we're in this, this tension between these two creations. We still have the effects of the old Adam, but we have the presence of the new Adam. We still deal with the brokenness of the old creation, but we have the hope of the new creation that is coming. And in this passage, it, it actually talks about the earth, the creation, having a perspective on all of this. And it's, it's very interesting. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eager, eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. This is so interesting to me because it's, it's talking as if creation is a person. Creation is having expectation. Creation is groaning. Creation is in, in childbirth. But that phrase, for the creation was subjected to frustration, sorry, before that, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is it about the redemption and revealing of the children of God that creation would be waiting for in expectation? The next verse says that creation was frustrated and that that frustration was not by creation's own choice but it was something that God did intentionally when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden that plan for this beautiful garden to fill the earth for everything to be put under the subjection of Adam and Eve and of God and for his purpose to be fulfilled it had to be stopped so the world was intended to be something that it is not now. 
but there is hope that one day it will be restored. And that hope is tied to you. To you being revealed in the glory that you have because you are in Jesus Christ. So if I go back to the image of, of the gate, and um, see if I can get, yeah, I, I wanted to put up this picture of, of Anna Marie standing in eager expectation of being able to go into this new place. I have an image of God standing at this gateway between heaven and earth. And He is desiring to come into the earth and make the change and transformation that He wants to, to make happen. But He has chosen for that to happen through us. We have to open ourselves up to His presence and be willing to be used for that transformation to take place around us. So how do we do that? How do we become a part of that? I want to give you some just a few practical ideas to think about. The first is that I want you to know that places matter. The theology I used to have was that someday we would be evacuated from planet Earth and it would be destroyed and we would live in heaven floating around somewhere singing hymns for the rest of eternity. I don't believe that that's what the New Testament teaches anymore. We have a future on a new heaven and a new earth that is transformed into what God intended it to be. And we live in between, in that, that in-between of the, the first creation and second creation. Jesus' message throughout His ministry was consistently one thing, the kingdom of heaven. And what would He say to people over and over again? The kingdom of heaven is here, at hand, it is near. I used to think that was talking about time, but I don't believe that now. I believe it was talking about the closeness of the kingdom of heaven. He is saying that it is coming, and then he demonstrated it through healing, through reconciling people's relationships, through making anything that was broken, making it right. I want you to think about the places that you have influence and authority over. For some of you, it may be your home. You get to shape what happens in your home. Some of you have reached levels of influence and authority that are broader. You may be leaders of companies or leaders of, uh, of, of government. I have the privilege and responsibility of being the leader of a school. And our school has dedicated the actual place that our school is located to being a place where the kingdom of heaven is expressed. The way that we went about doing this is through developing four statements. And uh, I'm going to show you one of them. I know the writing is small, so I don't expect you to read it. It's just a reference. But we, we believe that when the kingdom of God is present, there are four relationships that are restored. People's relationship with God, people's relationship with each other, people's relationships with themselves, and relationships with creation. Those four relationships, when they are in harmony, is what the, the Old Testament writers referred to as shalom. So we have written four statements that dedicate the land that our school is on to the restoration of those four relationships. And I'm going to read one of them. We, the leaders, teachers, and staff of VVA, declare that this place is dedicated to the reconciliation of people with God through Jesus Christ. We commit to make this a place where people are equipped to experience the presence of God 
We also commit to seek God's presence daily in our lives. We declare that this is a place under the authority of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and we renounce the presence of any other spirits in this place. So we dedicated VVA to be a place where people experienced reconciliation with God. We went to the other corners of our school and we wrote statements about reconciliation with people, with ourselves, and with creation, and we buried them in the land. And our school is now dedicated to expressing that. Those of you who have been to VVA, you may have felt this. The thing that we hear over and over again from people is that it is a place of peace. So what would it look like for your home to become a place that is dedicated to the restoration of those four relationships? When you encounter a person, you are a gateway between heaven and earth that can impact that person's life. When you encounter a situation that is broken, you can be a part of the restoration of that situation. So I want you to think about the city of Birmingham. Where are the broken places in this city? We know that God wants them to be restored. We know that He wants reconciliation to happen. But unless His people, who He chooses to work through, go to those places, He is somehow limited in what He can do. And the, one of the challenges that we have, as I would say as Americans, is we don't like to be uncomfortable. We tend to arrange our lives where we don't have to encounter those places that are broken. So we have to be intentional about getting into those places if we want God to be able to use us to bring that transformation. Um, I know I've run out of time. I could talk for another hour about some of the things that are happening, but a couple of things that we're doing in Rwanda that maybe will spark some ideas. Our vision of transformation is not something any one of us can accomplish on our own. So our strategy is to train our students to be aware of this incredible purpose that God has given for us to work with Him in the transformation and restoration of the world and give them opportunities to be exposed to brokenness and equip them to do something about it. Every month we send one class to our local hospital and our entire school community donates food and they go to the pediatric ward and give bags of food to the sick people in the hospital and they pray for them. The goal there is not that we will take care of all of the sickness at, or all of the hunger at the hospital, but we are preparing our students to be comfortable in helping people who are having difficulties. We have a garden at VVA and whenever there's produce from that garden, we give it to our students and ask them to go out into the community and share with people who are hurting. We want their eyes to be open to the needs around them so that they can help to address them. We are creating little gates that connect heaven and earth and equipping them and sending them out to be used by God to bring about that transformation. Uh, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the heart of his prayer, and uh, we're gonna be ending this morning by, by saying this prayer together, but the heart of his prayer was this statement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That statement, that prayer of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven is a description of what it looks like when the kingdom of God has come in a place. The kingdom of God is present when the king and what he wants, his will, is done in that place as it is in heaven. So what would it look like 
in your home if God's will were done in your home as it was in heaven? What would it look like in the city of Birmingham if God's will was done everywhere in the city as it is in heaven? That prayer can be a guide to help us find the broken places that we need to engage in. Ask yourself the question, where is it that God's will is not being done as it is in heaven? And that points you to a place where you are needed to bring restoration and transformation. And it could be about relationships. It could be about um, uh, physical places that need to be destroyed or be, be uh, repaired. It can be any of those four relationships. So what we're going to do as we end today, I want us all to stand together and we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer, as I know is the tradition that you have to end sermons here. But when we get to the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, I want you to think of a place where you want to see God's will done in that place as it is in heaven. So it may be in my home as it is in heaven, or in and the name of your school, if you're a student, as it is in heaven. Or your city in Birmingham, as it is in heaven. I want you to fill in the blank as we speak together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Rwanda, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.